Hello and welcome to In Unison, the podcast about new choral music and the conductors, composers, and choristers who create it. We are your hosts. I am Zane Fiala, Artistic Director of the International Orange Chorale of San Francisco. And I'm Giacomo Di Gregoli, a tenor in IOCSF, the Golden Gate Men's Chorus, and the San Francisco Symphony Chorus. And this is... In Unison! Yeah, I like being in unison! Let's open this week with a performance by the Cuesta College Chamber Singers in San Luis Obispo, California performing Adam Leibunden under the direction of John Knudsen. All right, today on In Unison, I am excited to welcome a longtime friend and colleague, John Knutson. John is the director of choral studies at Cuesta College in San Luis Obispo, California. And in fact, this year he is celebrating 20 years at Cuesta. Congratulations on that milestone, John. John's first year at Cuesta was actually my final year there, and I can actually give him credit for being the very first person to allow me to conduct a choir way back in 2001. Under his direction, Cuesta's vocal jazz ensemble Voce has performed at the American Choral Directors Association National Convention, the Montreux Jazz Festival, and the Jazz Education Network National Conference. And the Cuesta Chamber Singers have received awards in both the California International Choral Competition and the Vocal Total Competition in Graz, Austria. John was a member of the professional vocal jazz ensemble Vocology, which was formed by Phil Madsen, and has also directed the California All-State Vocal Jazz Choir. And in 2009, John was elected Cuesta College's Teacher of the Year. John holds a Master's in Conducting from Northern Arizona University and a Bachelor's in Piano Performance from the University of Minnesota. John, thanks so much for joining us today. You're welcome, Zane. And I'm only 31 years old. All that stuff. <laughs> As I hear all that, I'm like, damn, that guy must be old. <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, John, it's very nice to meet you. And, and yes, that is, that is quite the impressive bio. Um, to let our audience know a little bit more about you, we always start with an icebreaker. And uh, here's one for you. As, as a teacher, you, I'm sure, uh, constantly are doling out advice to, to students and uh, sharing advice with, with other faculty and folks. But what's the best piece of advice you've ever been given yourself? Um, you know, it's, it's funny cause this may be counterintuitive, but I think the best advice I, I got was when I went to my piano teacher, I think I was a junior, probably getting ready for my junior recital and feeling very frustrated. I said, do you think I, I have what it takes, you know, to, to be a piano major, to be a mu- music major in general? And he said, you know, if you can do anything else, you probably should do that. <laughs> <laughs> Which was harsh, right? Whoa. Harsh, right? Except for I took it because that's how damn much I wanted it to mean like, well, I can't do anything else. I really want this, you know. But I've always kind of passed that advice on to my students and that, you know, if you're going to be a music major, you have to go all in. So, so John, why don't you tell us just a little bit about your musical journey? Where, you know, where did you grow up? Where did you start studying music or when? Um, you know, did you go to a two-year community college yourself? Um, tell us a little bit about your, your story. Sure. Okay. Set a timer. Um, I'll try to keep it shorter. But <laughs> <laughs> um, Yeah. I mean, I always remember loving singing, you know, like, like church songs and like a rhinestone cowboy was one of the first songs I ever sang. And raindrops keep falling. No, yeah, raindrops keep falling in my head. And um, the uh, the Rainbow Connection. Yeah, oh, those yes. were like, you know, first, second, third grade tunes that I did solos with and stuff. So I always knew I loved that. I played violin when I found the violin in my grandma's attic when she died. I was in kindergarten. Um, and then I really loved harmony and I really wanted to play guitar. And my mom, speaking of like teachers that lie to us and stuff or whatever, my mom told me you have to be able to read bass clef to play guitar. So she tricked me into playing piano. <laughs> um, and, and then and it kind of worked because then when I started playing guitar, I realized I like piano better, really, you know. Um, yeah. And then I, and then I um, got a bachelor's degree in piano. And, um, and then I went out to New York because I had some hand injuries, some like nerve, nerve problems in my hands. And there is a specialist out there in a special hospital that you could audition into even. So anyways, I got back to playing piano. But in the meantime, while I was kind of struggling for a year not playing piano much, I joined a, um, it, it was actually sort of like a barbershop doo-wop group, but their gig was at a um, a club in Greenwich Village. Um, so we sang like four nights a week at this um, club in Greenwich Village singing old TV shows, theme songs. And it was sort of like a big interactive act where we would take... Um, request and stuff like that you know like a cabaret kind of thing so um then i knew i was really hooked into singing and harmony and i kind of knew it always from piano i was into harmony and then when i knew that singing and harmony go together i really thought i should get a uh, master's in choral conducting which i did um and i also went to a a community college and i got an aa in jazz somewhere in there too where was that community college that was in iowa it's it's called the uh southwestern community college and within that they have the school for music vocations smv was the thing and that was with phil mattson and did you grow up in iowa no i grew up in minnesota i just happened to have a friend that lived in new york uh that went to the university minnesota with me and she moved out to do this program and then i thought yeah okay if she's willing to do it she kind of talked me into it you know yeah yeah 
Yeah. And she wasn't my girlfriend. It wasn't even about that. It was just a cool program. I was going to say, I feel like I've heard this story once or yeah, twice. Yeah, totally, right? <laughs> no, I actually like broke up with my girlfriend in New York to go out there and do this program, believe it or not. That's how much it, it, it drew me, you know? Um, and it was a good relationship in New York. And I didn't date the girl who talked me into it. It wasn't really about that at all. So on, on that journey, was being a music educator always a part of the plan? Was it something that you always had in your in your mind? Oh, that's so funny. Yeah, so I forgot that. So... When I was in New York, I did that cabaret group, but that was, you know, like a night gig and didn't pay very much. During the day, I was a museum guard. Um, and then one of the guards from Haiti, he said, you know, hey, you should go up to the board of ed and you can be a paraprofessional. It's way better than standing here hour after hour in a museum, you know. And so I went up to the board of ed and they said, wait, you have a bachelor's degree. You can be a teacher with an emergency certificate. And like a total, like knowing nothing, I just stepped into that fire. At a, I taught sixth and eighth grade music at a junior high school in uh, Brownsville, Brooklyn. It was the same junior high school that Mike Tyson went to. It was a tough school. I got taken over by the state while I was there because it was performing so badly. Um, and yeah, it was rough. I had knives pulled out on me and, uh, you know, scratches from kids. And it was it was rough times. But weirdly, in that, there was the spark of joy of teaching. Like, I was no good at it. I'm not going to pretend like I was super effective that year, but it was effective on me. I discovered that I really do love teaching, which I had never considered. Because, yeah, I got a bachelor's in piano performance and went out to New York to study piano performance and how to do it while I was injured. And I started singing, but there was nothing in there about education. So I'm glad you brought that up, Zane. Yeah. Yeah. That was kind of an accident. <laughs> yeah. So in the midst of all of that, uh, where does vocology fit into that timeline? Okay, so yeah, that was pretty much later. So I did my bachelor's, did my AA in jazz, did my M master's in music and choral music in Arizona, at Northern Arizona University uh, with Dr. Edie Copley. And then Phil Matson kind of called back his all-star gang of people he'd ever worked with in the last 10 years or so. So Phil Matson, he has a couple of Grammy nominations as a writer in jazz and and an educator. So he called us back to that school where I studied with him. And I came back there as a faculty person then. And part of this faculty group called Vocology. And then that kept going. Yeah, from 2000, we started without him. And we pretty much ended at the end of 2016. Oh, wow. That was yeah. a good long run. I would love to talk a little bit about that. Um, using one of the tracks from Vocology, there's a, a piece you performed that we found on your YouTube called The Kicker. Oh, cool. And, oh, man, that piece, the, the tuning, precision, the ensemble sense of rhythm, awesome. Mm -hmm. Was uh, it a live performance? It was a live performance. Oh, how, cool. do you, how do you achieve that as, as an ensemble? And then, relating it back to, to, to Cuesta, how do you teach that? Yeah, um, it's 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 just a common. I mean, it's same as choral music. It's just the rhythms are a little trickier. Well, but not even. I mean, with modern choral music, there's harder harmonies and there are harder rhythms. Quite honestly, and the thing about jazz, especially sort of straight ahead jazz, is it it's a pretty. Um, it doesn't have a ton of variables. There's maybe, I mean, there's the 15 major and minor chords and diminished, and so I mean, when you add all, there's about 60 chords that way. You know, and then all there are is some extensions added on top. And the voicings are almost always the same. So once you can kind of learn how to hold your part and tune it, you really have it for all those chords. Not that that doesn't take years, but the variables are a lot less than in classical choral music, which spans a thousand years and 
in a whole world of different voicings and harmonies. And then rhythms too, especially in swing or in Latin, there's only a certain number of rhythms that really dance, that really move your body. And so they're, they're also a little bit predictable. Once you learn it, if you're just stepping into the language or just kind of you like to dance, but you never pay attention a lot, it seems infinitely complex, but it's not. And helping open up that world to our students with theory and arranging classes and showing them on the keyboard, you know, how these things work. I think it really helps them a lot to kind of see the bigger picture. And then lastly, it's just practice makes perfect. You just take two bars and you might rehearse it for 15 minutes mm-hmm. and live in that world. You know what I mean? People don't know how many thousands of hours go into this just to create a concert. Here's Vocology Now with their live performance of The Kicker. a second and and pivot back just to talk about Cuesta specifically just because I mean as you mentioned it is a small San Luis Obispo small part of California Cuesta College not the biggest school in the uh, in the country so maybe some of our listeners might not know anything about Cuesta so maybe let's talk just a little bit about it um, more specifically so, so we can give our audience a sense of place so how many other community colleges are there in the general area of that are near near to near to Cuesta? Uh, about f- an hour south, forty five minutes south, is um, Allen Hancock, which is in Santa Maria. Do they have a music program? They do nominally. You know, um, they they have a choir. It, it's more like a community choir, and um, and I think they have sort of a jazz ensemble and a wind ensemble that are also a little more like once a week community groups. It's it's. Yeah, um, it's not a big program, and most students down that way come up our way. They tend to. Um, and then that's it. Like, you have to go all the way up to Salinas, I believe, 
to find the next community college. You know, so Cuesta's program is relatively robust for the area. It's kind of it's kind of the place as far as music programs in a community college scene. Yeah, we're lucky that way, and that we're kind of big fish in this little pond in terms of that. You know, and also where we're like a small, medium-sized fish in a very rural pond. How about that? And then also, um, it's it's it is a beautiful like college destination because of Cal Poly. So traditionally, we've had really cool students come here that maybe just are trying to transfer into poly and think it'll be an advantage to go to Cuesta or like their big brother goes to poly and they didn't get in, but they just want to be up here and enjoy the college scene, you know? Um, so it's a pretty diverse area and equally equidistant from the two big hipster areas of California, you know, the Bay area and in LA. So yeah, I feel like we're uniquely situated that way. And it's probably why a small college I think can have, you know, one of the better programs in the state. So uh, tell us a little bit about the choral ensembles at Cuesta. How many choral ensembles are there? What's the size of of those groups? Well, hopefully temporarily, there's only two choral ensembles right now. There's Voce and the Chamber Singers. We just kept the two top groups um, during the pandemic. Um, but prior, prior to the pandemic, were there more? Yeah, prior to the pandemic, there were two vocal jazz groups and two choirs. Uh, the Kind of a feeder vocal jazz group that feeds into Voce. And then there's the the bigger um, concert choir that is almost a y'all come choir. If you can match pitch, you can be in that choir for sure. You know? Um, and then, yeah. So temporarily the chamber singers is just kind of housing most of those. Um, some of them, I, I, that, that wouldn't, well, I shouldn't say most of them. A lot of students, I kind of discouraged from doing it right now because we rehearse outside 10 feet apart with masks on. Yeah. So a lot of those students end up going into the, um, the voice class right now. So the the chamber singers is still fairly elite. It's got a few greeny people, green people, but I mean, man, they have to sing ten feet apart. Can you imagine that when you were younger, like just the pressure, knowing that the conductor can hear every single thing you're doing, and you're not really hearing the other people very much at all because you're outdoors. They really have to know their part. I kind of have really dug it this year because the students have discovered this new level of how accountable they can be, you know. So let's, let's go back pre let's, let's kind of pretend like uh, we'll go back before COVID times, because obviously that changed the dynamic of so much um, as far as choirs go. So what pre pre pandemic, what are the characteristics that made the Cuesta college choir program strong? I would like to say strong feeder programs, like what the younger what 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 the younger kids are bringing to the table is huge because then you don't have to start from scratch, you know. And um, we don't have very big high schools here, um, and some of them have more younger conductors or even maybe more of a turnover going with conductors. But there's always been a couple that have been really key, I think, in our in our in our program. It's Low High School, Murray High School, Atascadero, Templeton for a long time. And I feel like those those directors and what they what they could send me was really helpful for a starter, you know. Um, and then I think a culture of excellence within the the department has been really helpful. You know, it's not just the choir, but it's the the theory class and the piano class and the wind ensemble and the jazz band and and the sense of kind of holding up a high bar for everybody. So when they come into the building, they kind of know this is something to take pride in, and it helps them take pride in themselves. Um, the touring has been helpful. I think that always kind of energizes students. Um, and, and typically since I've been here, we've gone every three years to, to Europe. Um, 
and and done like a two or three week two to three week performance tour yeah some of my fondest memories from questa are the tours that we took (laughs) absolutely yeah you probably went in 2000 to europe right i did yeah montreux 2000 yeah yep super cool i mean and and um recordings recordings are a little bit i don't know it's kind of a little bit of a letdown late maybe maybe i need some guidance through this you know because it used to be the product was you would hand cds out to students and they would feel like like the bomb getting this stack of CDs with their picture and their name on it. And you know what I mean? Something to hold on to. Mm-hmm. And now, now they get an email with like the YouTube link. Right. That's all they get, you know, but I mean, it's easier for them to share for sure. They can spread it out to everybody, but, but you know, we all get buried in YouTube links. Um, yeah. We also, John, and as part of those recordings that we were listening to is your, your chamber ensemble also uh, did some recordings and, um, you recorded the spiritual, I've been in the storm so long, and I don't know who the soloist was. Her voice was absolutely lovely. The The recording was just absolutely mm. uh, breathtaking, and the whole thing was sung beautifully. Yeah, props to Autumn Cohn. Still one of my favorites. Yep. Really great. Just absolutely lovely sound. Mm-hmm. And we were talking about this because spirituals occupy a really special place in the landscape and canon of American choral music. Mm-hmm. What was your process in rehearsing this piece? Like what um, resources do you call on and consider when you're leading singers through that text? When I first did it, it was so um, it was so easy to lead because uh, I, I first did that piece back in 2005 or six after Hurricane Katrina. It was actually like arranged and put together in response to that crisis. Um, and that one, you know, hit students pretty hard back then. Um, more recently, um, I, I think I was still informed by that and the memory of that piece and stuff. So the recording you have is a little more recent. But um, in some ways, I'm not even sure you need to tell students about that, though. Like, you guys might agree with me when you hear just the the mood and the pangs. And I think it's some combination of the arrangement and the composition. It's a, it's a spiritual, so I guess it's not really composed, right? It's just a folk song that's been passed on you know, orally arranged. Yeah. So, I mean, but so the, the, I shouldn't say the composition, but just the song and the arrangement together, just kind of pull that out of you, you know, been in the storm so long. It just pulls that. I think all of us have that feeling within us. Teenagers, probably more than anybody, you know, this, this feeling of wanting to move on, but being held back, you know, I did just listen to that recording just before this conversation and I was quite moved. It is a beautiful performance. Well, can you say the name of the soloist again? Yeah. Her name is Autumn Cohn. Autumn Cohn. Yeah. Beautiful. Yep. Really, really Ranger. Uh, is it Jeffrey Ames? Jeffrey L. Uh, Jeffrey Ames is the arranger. Yeah. Let's listen to a bit of that culture of recorded musical excellence. Here's the Cuesta College chamber singers performing the spiritual I've Been in the Storm So Long. Yeah. 
So, John, you talked a little bit about how, you know, some of the high school programs are, are feeder programs. And so you're painting a picture of sort of this this younger population, kids are high school coming in. But you're also a community college choir. And so I have to imagine that some of the members of the group are just folks who are in the community. Um, how do you do you recruit as well from, from members of the community as well? Like folks who are just like, hey, that's an awesome choir and I'm going to take some credits and jump in just because I want to sing. We have an embarrassment of riches with community groups. We have a summer choir that gets together with the community. We have vocal arts ensemble, master chorale, Canzona, Canzona is a women's chorus. Um, and there's a North County chorus. Yeah, seriously, all of those things within the small population. So, And my groups rehearse right in the middle of the day. And every once in a while, I'll get like a student who's over 35 come in. Um, or over 45 and they often don't stay because they they kind of feel the vibe is the sort of 18 to 20 kind of vibe you know the general almost everybody's 18 to 20 there's a few 21 22 23 year olds but it's definitely a classic community college kind of age group um with a pandemic coming on though it has i moved the rehearsals in the nighttime for two reasons one in order to rehearse outside the campus has to be quiet and there can't be people squeezing through us to get to the bathroom or to get to their art class, et cetera. So I had to move it at nighttime just for the quietness of it. And then also I was really worried about um, enrollment and I was hoping to rely on a few community people. So in the nighttime, I actually got a hold of some alums and some people in the community to help um, bolster our ranks, you know, and I might keep going with that. I do. I, I used to always take pride and I used to always love teaching the younger students. I felt like they were clay to be molded and to send forth and to do great things in the musical world. Um, but now I, it's been really rewarding to work with community people. I never knew it because I've literally never done, I mean, except for a couple of church choirs, I haven't done a community choir. And so I might keep it going. I might actually pick a night and slowly kind of like somehow eke out my own community group, but I might almost have to wait till one of those other people retires. I mean, literally, I, I think I named about five different community groups and anything I think when you start to get that many, it's a, almost a zero sum game. And I don't want to like recruit away from those, you know. What do those community members bring to the table? I mean, what is it about having those folks uh, as part of your rehearsal and performances that um, is exciting? Well, I, I wish I had you guys could talk about that more with expertise. I know it because mine are just people that I knew from my former alums and they were kind of my my golden children. Like I picked I picked my first choice people. And I was shocked that they all said yes, because what else are they going to do right now? <laughs> None of the other community choirs were doing anything in the pandemic. Um, and, and any of them that had gigs and that kind of thing, you know, those gigs aren't happening. So I literally just picked like seven of my favorites last fall and they all said yes. And, and then after that, a couple of them didn't do it again. I think they weren't thrilled with having to sing outdoors and all that and the mask and you know, and a couple of them just went on to do other things, hit grad school and things like that. So I asked about three or four more replacements for this semester. We can only fit 24 into our circle. So, you know, if I have like 19 regular community college kids that register, then I can only bring in six alum or five alums kind of a thing. So, so I don't have much experience with alums. It's only the ones I use just to kind of fill up the choir. And it was a handful and they were just champions. Like they, what they brought was my all-star best kind of product you know, they brought me Zane Fiala. <laughs> Literally, it's a bunch of Zane Fialas in there, man. Maybe they're not as good at conductors, but they're good singers, good musicians. 
Yeah, I remember Cuesta being such a special place with this really high caliber of, of music making, you know, considering it was a two-year school, um, you know, and at the time that I was at Cuesta, the, the, I don't think you could get an associate's degree in music. It was just, there was just a great music program. Is uh, is the caliber of music making across all of the ensembles, instrumental as well, still really high? Would you still rank it up there with as, you know, one of the best in the state? I think I think after you left Zane, it grew and grew and grew. So I think I think the program got you'd be you'd be surprised even through like 2015, 2016, you probably would have come back and thought, wow, they sound better than I, I remember us sounding. Well, I know we're going to get into talking about um, the role of the community college in overall music education. But before we get to that, um, let's just take a quick little break. And now what from our sponsors. Are you a fan of the In Unison podcast? Are you a bit of a chorus Dolores? Want to show your love and support for the choral arts? Then check out the In Unison store. From water bottles to beer steins, tote bags to t-shirts, we've got loads of fun stuff to satisfy your inner choral nerd. And every purchase goes to supporting the creation and distribution of In Unison. Check out all the fun goodies at inunisonpodcast.com slash store. And now back to the episode. And we're back. <laughs> <laughs> we were just chatting during the break, actually. And uh, I wanted to ask, John, you know, you, you mentioned sort of a little bit of the changing demographics, the, the size of the group. You know, some things are certainly lost within that, right? It's sometimes a little bit harder to, to recruit and maybe um, uh, or find folks or have quite the same sound. But what things are gained when you're able to have a little bit more attention on the folks uh, within an ensemble? What, what do you get in terms of the closer relationships you might have with fewer people? Yeah, that's a cool question. I feel like the caliber of the concerts we put on is just as good as ever. Zane was just even talking about being down a few, just a year and a half ago or whatever, and, and conducting my group and stuff. They're, they're smaller. They might just be four bases instead of eight bases or something, but um, they, they still have that sense of excellence and that tradition. And they know that from hearing CDs and watching YouTube videos and it just gets passed on, you know, member to member, year to year and stuff. And um, so, yeah, they 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 still have to be mighty, even though they're smaller. And I think that each individual has to be just slightly more heroic, which is probably the best way to be doing education to be a hero. Right. Like, you know, to lift lift. It's like it's muscles and brains, brain muscles that you're working on. And I think the harder you work that the more you learn and the better you are as a human. And I think that the students are having to find that doing the same, generally the same repertoire and the same tours and the same recordings uh, with just smaller numbers of them. So it's been pretty cool. Yeah, it's interesting. The reason we ask is because obviously with, with COVID, I think lots of choirs and probably lots of folks who are listening right now there's probably going to be a degree of attrition. You know, we're, we're all probably going to see our numbers down slightly or who knows, we may actually see that, that once we get over the, you know, the other, the other side of this and, and come through the portal, um, <laughs> that we're, you know, we're all suddenly like everyone is hungering and dying to, to sing again. So we may, we may need to be prepared for a, uh, a swell in numbers, which will be very interesting. Pull out your big choir rep. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. totally. Yep. Well, John, as a director, I'm sure your, your ears are probably more uh, critical than the average audience member who's listening. But um, I have to say, because we, we had the pleasure of listening to your recordings or several of the recordings, particularly um, the Voce group. And I know that there's uh, one piece that, that Zane and I have talked about, which we just thought was really fun because we've been talking about vocoders and such. Uh, Zane, what was the piece? What was the name of that piece? Uh, uh, hide and Seek, the oh, Imogen right, Heap right. piece. 
Yeah. And if you guys ever want, I gave you, um, we did that song back in about 2008 and we recorded it in a studio live. You know, I mean, we would get maybe eight, 16 bars done at a time and stop and then do eight or 16 bars again. But it was just live. It was all singers always singing together. We never did any tracking at all. And we never did any punches or any of that fancy studio stuff. We just sang it as long as we could. And then we'd stop and take a drink of water and mm-hmm. keep going, you know. And and then by contrast, we also did that one last December as a virtual choir piece where everybody just sang at home and sent me their tracks. And I've, I've compared and contrasted those two. And I like both of the recordings. In some ways, I like the virtual one better. Crazy oh, enough. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Really? Why? Yeah. What makes you say that? Um... I think, well, I hate to say it, but I kind of like the tempo better, which is just like a choice I could have made back in 2008, you know? Um, and um, maybe there's a little bit of an advantage to have everybody on separate mics. It maybe gives a little cleaner of an audio recording sound, you know? And by last December, my students, thanks to some care, grants with CARES funding and stuff, they're all able to get a decent mic. And for 150 bucks, you can get like a gold and beautiful mic anymore. For 50 bucks, mm-hmm. you can get a pretty good mic. Yeah, um, but I don't know. Maybe you guys can listen to him someday, and you guys can compare which you like better too. Oh, and we why. intend to. We're, we're, we're gonna we're gonna play him on this program. Yeah, they're a little to too close right to now. home for me to even like quantify why I like something better or not. And you know, let's hear that virtual recording of Questa Voce singing "Imogen Heaps Hide and Seek." Where are we? What the
going to ask what was it that inspired you to to program that piece in the first place oh i i swear like half of my repertoire is student led yeah and within the classical world too i think ever since the internet came out students have been if they happen to be slightly more geeky than me which is pretty often they like live and there's the whole beautiful rabbit holes of the internet i know we talk a lot about the dark holes of the internet nowadays but with choral music, it's a beautiful dark hole, a beautiful bright hole you go into. So they bring me these pieces. They brought me Image and Heat back in 2008, you know? Yeah. Oh, I love that song. I've been a huge fan of it from the first time I heard it, which was a long, long time ago. Yeah, maybe. And now that I'm thinking about it, Zane, that one was actually transcribed by a student. And it's just right. note for note. It's not meant to maybe even be performed live almost. There, there's a Carrie Marsh arrangement of it that is much more singable. And so maybe that's partly why, like, in other words, the group doing it live in the studio was doing heroic acrobatics to make it work. Whereas the students doing it at home just on their own phones and stuff like that, they could just do one little spot and then come back and do another little spot and splice them together, you know. It's not super singable because, yeah, Imogen Heap, she just sang it into a one single microphone and then a vocoder kind of went and harmonized it for her, you know. Right, right, yeah. exactly. What are some other pieces you've recorded over over time that just stick out in your mind you you sent us another one called uh the grass grows greener which i guess must have been one of the ones that you're uh, particularly interested in or, or think sounds pretty good and we think so as well yeah i just um, think that song is so funny it's called a boogaloo a, a what a boogaloo yeah that's that's actually the groove yeah isn't that funny and um, yeah, the groove is fun. And just my dad always used to say that expression, always. Well, son, the grass always grows greener on the other side of the fence, you know. And so here's this guy in Sweden writes a whole song 
it's it's fascinating to me that like people in other countries can write songs in our language too. Isn't that just crazy? And they can be better than what I can do, you know. So, yeah, that's what that's kind of what drew me to that tune. And that recording's always stuck out as just fun and crazy, you know. Yeah, it's got the horn sounds even too, right? They had to plug their nose and then block the mic as well in order to get that really thin. Yes. Yeah. So they they kind of block the microphone with their hand. Plus they plug their nose and then they they get that. Ah, interesting. Yeah. Interestingly, from your there was something that jumped out at me at some of the YouTube recordings, especially from uh, Vocology. Speaking of mics and sort of effects and things like that. Mm-hmm. You all were doing some very specific things with the, the movement of the mic. It was sort of a lot, sort of in lockstep with your what was happening rhythmically. Um, is that part of like what you might teach your students in sort of one and apart on mics, or is that just something you picked up from your um, sort of professional practice? Like learning how to handle a mic as a, as a singer is kind of a big deal. Yeah, we do that a lot. Yeah, some of it's intuitive. Like a good musician and and students can be great musicians. You know, they'll they'll figure out the sound they want from that some of it's a bad habit like your hand might just kind of move to the groove and then your sounds going like uh, 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 you know in and out kind of a thing so some of it we have to coach students not to do like just because their foot's tapping two and four doesn't the mic should be bobbing in and out on two and four um (laughs) yeah some of it's stuff they pick up watching videos too because i mean almost all of their heroes are singing on mics you know they're musical heroes these days um and uh and then a lot of it we work on like we teach the mic technique for sure and they rehearse almost every class we're lucky at Cuesta where it's just like plug and play they literally just plug in their mics and we flip a light switch and then we have all the speakers already set up hardwired in so generally almost every rehearsal they rehearse with microphones and they can really take time to figure out that placement and the technique of them it's sort of an instrument you know mm-hmm. yeah yeah, absolutely. I totally agree. I remember when I was there singing in Voce and then I sang in the feeder group too. The before I got into Voce, I sang in the other group which the name escapes me. What was the what was the secondary I think it's still what we call called? it. It's encore. Yeah, encore. Uh-huh. Um, and I remember having to go every day when we came for rehearsal, we'd have to go and get all the sound equipment. We had to bring it all in and set it all up. It's nice that you guys have it all all hooked up. Oh, already. yeah. It's such a pain. And, and then plus it wears the gear out, too. It gets all scratched and banged. And, yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yep. So speaking of, of vocal jazz techniques, obviously mic technique is one of them. But another skill that you, you need to have when you're singing in a vocal jazz group is the skill of improv, improvisation. Um, you know... Most folks, well, I don't know if most folks aren't natural born improvisers, but it's definitely something that takes practice and woodshedding and, and you have to be taught, you know, how to improv. There's entire courses dedicated to it in the instrumental world. How do you approach teaching improv in the vocal jazz setting of Voce? Um, well, we also have an improv class, which is which is helpful too. You know what I mean? Because it is a lot to try to teach mic technique and the tuning and the harmony and the blend and all that. So do j- a lot of singers um, sing? Uh, do a lot of singers take the improv class? They do. Yep, yep. And we and we. Um, but uh, typically on on the third rehearsal on the Fridays, um, we will take time and do improv practice and stuff like that. Um, I think the the number one best way is to just assign students to go home and learn jazz improv licks and scats and stuff like that it's a i i i like it it's a language everybody agrees music's a language and improvisation is a is a language and jazz is a language and all and the way you learn a jazz a language is to imitate and i tell them you have to literally be 
like a one and a half year old in a crib holding onto the little bars going mama and then milk and just you know just it starts with one little lick and then finally you're like i want some milk you learn how to put that together but you're just imitating at first is all you're doing i don't think little kids teeny little babies even know meaning necessarily i'm no psychologist but i think it starts with just that just imitating and hearing a lot um and that's and so we they do several of those every semester and once you put together a bunch of those you just find yourself kind of hearing a little more clearly because like i was saying before there's in jazz it's this limited number of chords and progressions and options it's not infinite at all you start to finally spend enough hours in there and you're like oh it's a pattern and oh he does that same thing that she did over there only it's a totally different song in a different key oh look at that and now i realize it works in minor as well even you start to really put all these things together you know so i think by doing those things we call lifting a solo is the most important thing um I think singing the lines, like just singing your alto line and your tenor line and your soprano line, et cetera, is also the language. So just by singing our, our repertoire, you know, we talk about grass grows greener. By the time you went and sang all those rhythms and, and uh, articulations and harm notes, and you're hearing those notes in the harmony, just like you do with jazz band or jazz choir, then you're getting a sense of the harmony of how the scats work. Um, and then we just play, you know, we just have people scat and they play telephone game and they imitate each other and they they carry on conversations with each other and scat, you know, and all that kind of thing. Just games that make it fun. Let's hear some of those fine improvisational and microphone skills with Cuesta College's Voce performing The Grass Grows Greener. <laughs> I have an urge immensely intense I'm on the verge of jumping the fence Although the leap to begin with is cheap Consequences come at my expense Some say the grass grows greener on the other side They all desire what they can't acquire Some say the grass grows greener on the other side Still we know no matter where we go it's just another other side My neighbor's garden is like paradise My own backyard, not nearly as nice There's my pride setting foot upon that side Then again, everything has its price Some say the grass grows greener on the other side The only desire what they can't acquire Say the grass grows greener on the other side Still I know no matter where I go It's just another other side Do 
I don't know, should I stay or go? If you can't be an honest man, maybe so still, I don't know. Skip the word from the moral nerd. Help me out, I'm so in doubt. If you're strong, you can't go wrong. Don't hesitate. Take my advice. Don't take the bait. You must be wise. Some say the grass grows greener on the other side. Get your satisfaction from the new attraction. Some say the grass grows greener on the other side. Still, I know no matter where I go, it's just another other side. Some say the grass grows greener on the other side. Still, I know no matter where I go, it's just another other side. Wrong or right, black or white, always this internal fight. So we're in, in thinking about uh, jazz improvisation, you know, lots of the folks that you probably get at a two-year or a community college are probably pretty young. They're coming straight from high school. And many of them are probably learning a pretty traditional Western sense of classical music theory. Um, I'm assuming they come in and they sort of, it's the first time that they're getting the opportunity to take a class like uh, jazz improvisation. What's that experience like for your students, and how do you kind of pivot them away from maybe more traditional things that they have learned into more of a, a jazz or improvisational setting? You know, I, I think Zane might back me up on on this question, but the first thing they get hit with when they show up at Cuesta is classical music theory, and I think it's very hard for them. That's often considered sort of the weed out. It's like the it's like the um, organic chemistry of the music major. The classical music theory. This is like the third time I've alluded to this, but classical music is deep, man. And it is full of like thousands of rules, <laughs> you know, for the thousand years. Oh my, yes. And you must resolve. Oh yeah. And every single note has to resolve a perfectly specific way. And you have to, and then it changes on the very next chord, you know? So no, the classical music theory, first of all, it's a prereq. They have to take two semesters of that before they can do improv. Um, and they're all kind of in the same boat. Like classical theory kind of mind boggles almost all of them. The keyboard players have the best shot at it because they're used to harmony and, and visualizing, you know, the grand staff, the bass clef and the treble clef at the same time. Um, after they do that, then they can go into improv. And then, yeah, the ones that have been doing improv more in high school and stuff, like they very likely had a teacher that asked them to lift a couple of jazz solos when they were in high school. So, so then, then it kind of switches and the kids that have done more jazz get a shine a little bit more. Um, but I would say the classical impro- classical theory messes with all of their brains and brings their egos down a notch. And the jazz improv is a little bit more mixed. Like some of them with more jazz experience from high school do okay. And, um, and then like singers, they do horrible in it because... Zane, when you tell me to do a Mixolydian scale as a singer, I'm just like, oh my God, which one is that now? You know what I mean? And I don't even have any buttons to push to do it, you know? Yeah. Are the jazz programs strong at the local high schools? It is doing pretty good. Yeah. Yep. We have a couple of, um, we have an alum that teaches at Tascadero, who's great. And another guy at uh, Morbay High School is great. So yeah. And Slow High School's got a huge jazz program right now. Oh, yeah. Cool. So yeah, the jazz program's doing really good. Yep. So, you know, I, I personally, obviously I'm a, I'm an alum of Cuesta <clears throat> and I, 
personally feel that the music program at Cuesta was instrumental, no pun intended, um, in my own music education and that it really prepared me for the rest of my schooling. You know, I, I started as a musician very young as a piano player, but I never studied classical uh, music in a uh, traditional sense. I didn't study theory um, until I got to Cuesta. And Cuesta really put put it all into perspective for me. And I feel like it prepared me for the rest of my schooling, which I went on to get a bachelor's in jazz studies and then a master's in choral conducting. What are your thoughts on, on Cuesta's role in furthering its students' music education? I, I, it's still great. I still get emails every year from students thanking me and, and uh, telling me where they're at. And, you know, and, and, and I think this is true with a lot of community colleges. I don't want to say that Cuesta is so like, outstanding or spectacular compared to other community colleges. But the huge advantage of the community college is the small class sizes, the teachers that are there because they want to teach, not because they want to do research, you know, um, and the just the, the kind of con- the, I wouldn't I wouldn't want to say convenience of it necessarily, but I guess it is convenient to be really low cost, low stress, you know, if you happen to have a little more money, you can move out and do an apartment. Zane, you might have had some friends that did do that, even though they could have lived oh, yeah. at home. And I've had some kids that have been like basically kicked out because it's kind of natural. I think at age 18, you need to start spreading wings. Like it just as an animal species, we are that way. <laughs> we need to break away from our parents, of course, you know, to become fully realized. But and so, yeah, it, I, I feel like community college gives you all those options. You can live at home if that's. I mean, financially, it's the smart thing to do, but maybe it's not emotionally the smart thing to do. And we can service all those people. It's super convenient that way, you know, Um, and definitely the smaller class sizes. And I think the informality maybe a little bit is helpful. The instructors can still be respected, but we don't have to walk around a doctor in front of a name or even just a last name. We're all just first name. We're all there for you, you know, and I think it's cool. There's the huge variety. It's not all it's not all a bunch of Zane Fialas that came in there just completely driven and knowing everything. It's also kids with probably more talent than Zane, but more screw off <laughs> if that's a word. <laughs> and it's kids with not even near the talent of Zane, but just really trying hard. You know what I mean? And they're, everybody's together. So you get the sense of literally community um, because there's all these different people all just trying to make it in their own way. At a conservatory where everybody auditioned to get in and everybody's at a similar level, it gets tooth and neck just gets ugly sometimes you know yeah yeah john i have to ask a favor which is pretty pretty important uh zane is known for his high degree of professionalism high musicianship and he's a pretty inscrutable guy so i gotta tell i gotta ask what kind of embarrassing stories do you have to share from 18 year old zane fiala or <laughs> oh, well, in his de- in my community defense, college I was, 20, I was like 22 when i yeah met John. <laughs> I, I did i missed out so i don't i don't have any honestly god yeah i missed out on all <clears throat> zane was at least his third year probably a questa um yeah we overlapped by just one single yeah year. and and he yeah. he was he was a just a perfect guy he, he the thing i remember most about zane was that he was mature and super talented and there were several students like that but he was really like a kind welcomer of me to this kind of outstanding program you know it wasn't the easiest transition because my predecessor was beloved and that's always hard and and that's not unique to community colleges that's the same way with a church choir or with mm-hmm. the Elks Club, <laughs> you know what I mean? If you're coming in, taking over the new presidency or whatever, that's just human nature. And I knew it was going to be hard coming in. And Zane made that a little bit easier for me. 
So, man, I hate to disappoint, Giacomo. Damn it, the inscrutable professionalism continues. We, we, can, we can dig a little deeper, though. I'll help you out. <laughs> thank you, thank yeah. you. Yeah. Embarrassing photos will be welcome. We'll put them up on the website. Yeah, you have to ask George Stone about that. <clears throat> George Stone probably has some stories about me being younger and more... Uh, uh, less professional, let's say. Yeah, yeah. I'm dig. <laughs> yeah. And he toured Europe with me, and I can tell you that that was, uh, well. We the drinking age is 16 guys. in Europe, so yeah. that's... <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. John, this has been super fun, and, and getting to know a little bit more about uh, you and your programs at Cuesta and your, uh, gosh, nearly two decades. It's amazing that you're only 31. It's brilliant that it's an 11. <laughs> I know. God, started at Cuesta when he was 11. Uh, <laughs> but uh, and, and we've, we've seen some great programs that you've done online, and now hopefully, you know, coming out of the pandemic and, you know, heading into, t- into summer and thinking about the fall, uh, looking forward, what's next for you? Do you just swing into the, the next semester's? Um, well, like I said, I, I, I'm kind of getting, I'm a little bit hungry for the community choir game. I want to, I want to find my way there, but I want to make sure I do it in a way that's not stepping on toes. So that's going to be fun. Uh, reconnecting with my colleagues in the high schools is going to be fun because I know they're, they've been swamped and, and swimming in new tech land. Like I have been all year long, you know, so I don't hear much from them. I, I, I check in with them once in a while, but it'd be really cool when they can get all their students back together for reels. Um, you know, it's, it's amazing the fear around singing. It's just like, I'm, I'm going to go speak. This is a little bit off topic to finish that, but I'm going to swing over to this cause I live on the tangential world. But next Monday at about the same time, I'm going to be speaking at the board meeting for the local children's chorus. Uh, their board doesn't want to let, let the kids sing together, even outside. Yeah. So I'm going to go there and speak about how Cal Poly our sister, not our sister institution, but our counterpart here, as well as Cuesta. We've been singing since last August outside with zero COVID transmissions, you know. I mean, we know that because we test every week, you know. Um, so I hope I hope I can give them a little confidence. I hope in the fall the high schools can sing all together at the same time, not splitting their choirs, because I really look forward to kind of helping them grow their programs back, growing my program back. Um, and it's crazy. Yeah. Maybe I have about 10 more years left in my career, but I just kind of want more of the same, you know, I want to do some more touring, some more recording, some more inspiring and yeah, just get things back. I think that's what this year is all about. It's, it, it took me until just a few days ago to come up with a new year's resolution. Even, I don't know about you guys, but new year's came by and I'm like, no, it's not a new year. It's just 2020 <laughs> still, you know? And then there were a bunch yeah. of surprises even down the road after that, that were depressing. So it's just recently I was at slow brew outdoors not wearing a mask and drinking beers and thought i'm ready for a resolution you know but it wasn't much of a resolution it was just getting back on my feet physically mentally and and doing the same for my students you know awesome yeah um where can our listeners find your ensembles online is there a youtube channel that we can direct there is yeah they can go to youtube and go to cuesta chamber singers or cuesta voce and voce is spelled v-o-c-e like Italian, V-O-C-E. Yep, that would be the best place. We'll put those links in our show notes, of course, as we always do. And, and we'll definitely be playing some of these uh, recordings that you sent to us on For the show. For sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They're great stuff. I'm honored you asked, Zane. You really, uh, like like was alluded to, you are inscrutable and <laughs> you're a font of professionalism. And it's an honor that you would think of inviting me. Like that was that was that really touched me. I appreciate you. 
Well, you know, you're, you've continued a, a great thing that I am a product of. And so that's, you know, that's what I wanted to talk about. And I'm glad that you were willing to join us. And it's been a great conversation. It's great to hear your perspective on, uh, on jazz and on, you know, not being so serious about uh, the uh, music theory side of things and just feeling it. I really like that statement. That's all really good. And I share your sentiment that, you know, what I too look forward to is just singing with people and actually i'll also say that you said it several times is how much you love harmony you said it several times during this conversation Mm -hmm. and that really resonated with me too because that's really i mean you know choir is about community it's about being together with people who are like-minded and who want to have an outcome that's a beautiful musical experience but in the end really what we crave is to feel the harmony and to hear it and to sense it and to experience it. And, and that's what I'm really missing. I mean, my, I haven't sung with another person except for some Christmas carols with Giacomo and my wife over Christmas time. I haven't sung with anybody. I'm so, so deprived of it that I sat at my computer the other day singing barbershop tags all by myself, multi-tracking just Mm. so that I could have that experience of singing harmony, you know, and we've been meeting, with my choir online um, and quote unquote rehearsing, but it's just not the same. And unless you get other people in the room with you, yeah. so I just like you, I really look forward to, to getting people in the same room and, and experiencing that harmony together. Mm-hmm. So, so yeah. So anyway, thanks for, uh, thanks for being willing to be on the show and thanks for sharing your thoughts and, and everything. This has been a really great conversation. It's John. my pleasure. Love your podcast. Thanks guys. Thank Thank you, John. Bye-bye. Let's end today's episode with a modern classic. Performed by Cuesta's chamber singers, here is Eric Whitaker's A Boy and a Girl.
Thanks for listening to this week's episode of the In Unison Podcast. Be sure to check out episode extras and subscribe at inunisonpodcast.com. You can follow us on all social media at inunisonpod. And leave us a review on Apple Podcasts to let us know what you think. Fundraising efforts spearheaded by Chorus Dolores, whose favorite movie character is Tracy Flick in Election. In Unison is produced and recorded by Mission Orange Studios. Our theme music is Mr. Puffy, written by Avi Bortnik, arranged by Paul Kim, and performed by the Danish vocal jazz ensemble Dynamic on their debut album, This Is Dynamic. Special thanks to Paul Kim for permission. Be sure to check them out at www.dynamicjazz.dk.